Every leader has problems. Increasing your leadership intensity won't fix them in a healthy way. You need an increase of clarity. From starting businesses, leading multiple nonprofit organizations, both large and small, and a full family life, Dr. Chris McAllister learned how to shift his thinking to thrive. He will help you order your internal world so you can lead your external world. Welcome to the Site Shift Lead Podcast with Chris McAllister. All right, folks, uh, welcome back. And I know that you you don't know Eric, uh, but hopefully he can feel your love and celebration coming to him for stepping out and doing this. And I look forward to the stories of what you're going to learn through his vulnerability. So, Eric, here we are, week two. Thanks for being here, man. Hey, how's it going? So uh, week two, man, let's just jump off where you are. I always like to say that wherever you are, it will be amazing how the conversation can come back around to the big idea. Uh, so what's going on? It's Monday morning. Yeah. You know how that, you know how that feels. <laughs> yeah. So good weekend for you? Yeah, it's great. I was in Philadelphia this weekend. Nice. It was awesome. What yeah. was in Philadelphia? Basically took a spur of the moment trip to go do a little collaboration with a photographer friend of mine and otherwise just seeing friends skateboarding around. Um, so kind of a nice break from New York. Nice. Very cool. There's a place that I've eaten there when I go to, no, it's not Philadelphia. It's Pittsburgh. I think I'm thinking of anyway, I won't confuse the issue here so in week two. This is where, you know, the first four weeks were in the problem and we are diving deep into it to get the deeper awareness that we get, the more our brain will organize around everything we'll talk about in the following eight weeks. Um, but this week is where we really start to peel back the layers and get insight into the fear. So as you work through some things, what were the exercises like for you? Uh, one of the exercises was to do an emotional journal. Mm-hmm. That was a little difficult to do in the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, just accessing those while I'm in the middle of something else. Uh, I set a couple alarms on my phone to remind me to do it, and that helped. Smart. Um, and then one of the th- one of the questions you asked was to take a stressful or frustrating moment. And, and you asked if I was trying to prove or instead if I hid. Mm-hmm. That one was hard because I, I didn't really quite grasp the two or I didn't really – I mean, I know the difference, but I didn't – I wasn't able to recognize – you know, it was a little vague. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, let's go into that this way. And great idea on the setting a little reminder on your phone. I've had people tell me that, and I need to include that in this because, yeah, that's a a great way of saying, hey, I want to be on point with this moment and not miss it. Um, Okay, let's talk about proving and hiding. Before we do, I want to walk through the fears with you. As you walked through those fears, let me know, where did you find yourself feeling the most, like, there's no way that's me or this might be me. Just kind of what were some of the stronger reactions? Sure. You want to walk through them or? Well, so you, you just, tell me as okay, you walk sure. through them, maybe what okay. were, and you may have said like, I feel yeah. all nine of them. But yeah, where were you at with okay. that? Uh, I definitely felt that fear of if I don't, ca- if I don't take care of myself, no one else will. Hmm. I felt 
do I even have what it takes uh, to meet the big goal that I'm going for? Mm-hmm. And the last one, I'm nothing special, meaning there's a lot of other people that do what I do, and I'm nothing special. Gotcha. That's great information. So as you went through the fears, those were the three that you were kind of resonating with the most. Yeah, at least this week. Yeah, totally. And, you know, the more attuned we are, the more we can fill a lot of these. Uh, One of the things that I do, and again, I don't want to force it because it'll be there when it needs to be there. But one of the things I like to do in this week is just ask some questions to see if one of them surfaces to the top. Uh, And there's different ways I ask it. Sometimes I'll ask if it's a loved one or a boss or like it's an investor advisor. And we'll try different different ones and see which one lands the most. But let's imagine this. Eric, there is a guy that you're connected to that knows um, a multimillionaire investor. And everybody that goes to him, it's like real top secret. They get the next best advice to 10x their career or their tribe or their revenue or whatever, right? Whatever you want to 10x. So this person, they're like a secret wizard guru and they can help you 10x. But like everything in life, there's a catch. And your friend says, I'll set you up with a meeting and you will get what you want. It's amazing. He's like an oracle. But you've got to put up with how jacked up he is. And so he won't see you unless you see him four times because he wants to make sure you apply the advice. And he's super dysfunctional. Now, here's what you get to pick, Eric, and this is just a way to surface these fears. What I want to hear from you is which one of these investors would you least want to meet with? Does that make sense? So I'm going to paint three gross pictures. (laughs) And then out of these three gross pictures, you tell me, oh, definitely. I could put up with the other two, but can't do that one. If, If you have that kind of clarity, we'll see. So first one is this. You go in to meet with him. And the first 30 minutes... He's going to give you the gold at the end of the meeting, but he just tears you apart. He's like, who do, who do you think you are to go out and do this? Everybody else is doing this. It doesn't matter how disciplined you are. You're never going to prove to the world that you're anything unique or special. Everything you do is bland and completely fits in with everybody else. So he has shredded your thoughts or ideas or beliefs that you're going to stand out in any way. The next Scenario: We're imagining three different investors or advisors or gurus. And the next one, you go in to meet with them, and for 30 minutes, it's just railing on you. You know, you, you think you can do this? You don't have what it takes. Uh, let me see some of your work. And he sees some of your work and says, yeah, you, you, don't, have, you don't have it. You can't do it. Um, this is easy. Anybody could do it, but you can't. So, like, really intense. Third example, you come in to meet with him, and he doesn't even acknowledge that you're there. Like, you're trying to get his attention for the first few minutes, and he's on the phone and won't even pay attention to you. Finally, he gets off the phone, and he's placed an order. His breakfast has come, and he doesn't even stop and ask you if you want anything. Completely ignoring any of your needs. Now, here's the thing. I know that you want to get his advice. So you'll put up with the crap to get his advice. Which of them would you least want to meet with? 
probably the last one. Yeah. Um, and the reason I ask those questions is because it just helps surface a little bit of the emotion to say where, when you look within and what's happening, where might be a place that we find more visceral clues about what that fear is. So here's what we're going to do from this point forward. I'll talk about it in terms of this fear, but it doesn't mean it, uh, it has to stay that way. So like I said, week seven or eight, it may change. Uh, you may go, this is really closer to home because, again, we're not forcing it. But what we're going to do now is start peeling back the layers around the fear of if I don't take care of myself, no one else will. My needs are a problem. There's different ways of wording it. But at the end of the day, when you feel that your needs are a problem and you're going to be taken care of, you get to go, I can, I can feel joy. I mean, there's something so comforting. And, and it gives you joy. It gives you happiness when it's like, you know, whatever this thing is for you. But for me, it would be a home environment perfectly shaped around what comforts me. What's in the fridge is my favorite stuff. Uh, I have my favorite meal, you know, my favorite clothes, my favorite slippers, whatever it is. Mm. And all of these needs are met perfectly. Ah, I'm relaxed. Does that make sense, this this idea of this fear? Yeah, I guess so. I don't really know because you have a family, right? So I'm a single guy and I pretty much do have to take care of myself. No one's going to stock the fridge up full of things. You know, is that what you're getting at? Is someone else is going to take care of those things for you or? That's a great question. So here's what happens. And this is where we'll be headed moving forward into the strategy of this. These fears manifest themselves when we try to build our identity around our mission or community and we try to get the fear met externally. The reality is nobody will ever care for you perfectly. In fact, at this phase of life and in the last probably five years, uh, I do more taking care of in the rhythm of my family than I'm actually cared for. Does it make sense? Because of their ages. Yeah. And so it's a ton of work. It's a lot of fun, but still challenging. So here's, here's the way to think about this. When we are insecure in our identity, we try to get this fear met through mission and community. So it's going to block up the clarity of our mission. It's going to block up us building the party we want to join. When we learn that no mission or community can perfectly answer this fear externally, we learn to let the fear lose its power over us internally. This is how we get secure in who we are. Then we bring clarity into our mission. We build the party we want to be a part of. So here's what this looks like for you, Eric. If indeed this is the case and this represents the core fear, and this will definitely continue to move forward with insight. If this is the case, it'll land with you. When you learn how to internally give yourself the gift, I'm here for you, Eric. I'm taking, you know, it's like you're talking to yourself. I heard Elizabeth Gilbert, uh, the author of Eat, Pray, Love, talking about this on in an interview recently. When you give yourself this gift of who you are and you can uh, process it that way, like, Eric, I'm here for you. I'm taking care of you. I'll give you everything you need internally. Then what you do when you learn to give yourself that, and this is where we'll be weeks five, six, seven, and eight. That'll be the solution part of it. You bring the unobstructed creative expression of who you are into your mission. There's something that communicates to others through your mission. I'll take care of you. I'm here. Same thing with your community. You communicate that in your relationships, just through your actions, just through your presence. I'm here to take care of you. It's going to be okay. Um, so an insecure mission is where we try to get the fear met. 
So it's like, will you be there for me? Will you take care of me? Insecure relationships. Will you be for, there for me? Will you take care of me? Security. We're there to give, not just get it. So it's an internal thing that we'll focus on to see the external results. Does that make sense? Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, great question because you'll never get it perfectly met uh, again through mission community. Those will go off the rails at points. What allows us to be resilient is to say, oh, I can get what I need internally so that I can give it externally. This is how we get, this is how we relax our way into our flow. Now, one of the things that I'll say a lot, um, is did I tell you about, (laughs) and I know in our case, I could go back and listen to the podcast. Uh, so that's like really crazy because I would have never been able to do that before in coaching conversations, but it would just be easier for me to ask you and, and just to get reminded, did we talk much about shame last time? Yeah. We talked about the difference between shame and guilt. Perfect. Yeah. So the way that shame manifests itself in your life, if this is the core fear for you, it'll be this. You're not going to get what you need. You're not going to be taken care of. You're going to be left hanging. You're going to be left um, fighting to try to get what's yours. And the more that you can recognize when that's happening, the more that you can recognize um, when you prove and hide within yourself. So the struggle that we all face to not live secure out of who we are is when we feel the fear, the shame is there, it suffocates, diminishes who we are, and we go, oh, I got to prove something. I got to hide something. Um, I got to diminish who I am. If, if there's somebody who's always posting online, social media, like, look who I'm with. Well, they're probably afraid they don't belong. And they're trying to prove to others, look how I belong, because they insecurely are afraid they belong. I mean, I'm talking about if this is like over the top, always what they're posting about. Um, I could do that with performance-like stuff, because for me, my fear, performance equals worth. So I'm always going to tell people about what I'm doing. Look at what I did. Look at what I'm doing. Um, And it doesn't mean I don't post those things still. I just check myself. Before I wreck myself. Oh, sorry. That just popped in my head. Uh, the, uh, but I check myself to say, okay, what's my motive in this? I'm going to post this thing about an accomplishment because I'm excited about it. But it doesn't make me more, more worthy as a human being. Um, this goes back mm-hmm. to what we talked about last week with the exercising. We don't want to deform who we are. And we're deforming who we are every time we're proving and hiding. And most people are moving unconsciously through their day. Proving and hiding like crazy. And I want to talk more about proving and hiding, but I want to just check in with you right now. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's definitely true, especially in the the design world in my industry, because a lot of people are posting their work online and not just on their website, but all over social media. So they are completely attaching what they do, you know, to who they are. If that's what you want to define the social, you know, the online profile as, as an expression of who you are, they're, they're totally lumping in what they do and they're trying to prove by saying, Oh, look at this awesome project I did. Or maybe they aren't, but that's the way it comes off. So it definitely rubs off on me. It rubs off on a lot of other of my friends who are designers. Um, so it's hard to, to not compare yourself to others. I, I definitely check myself in that regard as much as I can. 
but how can I really know what that motivation is for sharing my work, you know, uh, or how can I not let that, how can I not let that be something that I'm trying to prove and, and really just something that I'm trying to provide value, I suppose. Yeah, that's a great question. Ultimately, it comes to just being present, present with yourself, knowing like, okay, within me right now, if nobody likes this, if nobody shares this, if nobody favorites it, if nobody sees it, do I still say, stay the same in my identity? Does it diminish who I am? Does it increase who I am if this gets any kind of traction? And the reality is it doesn't diminish who you are and it doesn't increase who you are in your identity. So then when we're secure in who we are and we know I can't get enough to feel secure about who I am from others or my work. Now I can share it in a way that's just, uh, you know, I'm giving this, I'm not trying to get a reaction. Um, and again, there are times where I've shared things and, you know, I check my motive, boom, going to share it. There are other times where I just do it real fast. I'm like, ah, I really wanted people to notice that because I felt insecure and I thought this would give me more props in the world. Um, I'm going to take it down or maybe I leave it up. I don't have to stay in a place that, you know, I overly navel gaze about it. I'm just learning to pay attention. Um, this would happen to me last week. There was a buddy of mine that I had sent a message to and I just said, Hey, two minutes to talk. And, uh, yeah, he said, yeah, ring me. So I got on the phone. I was like, Hey, I know both of us are probably in the middle of a lot of meetings today. Um, and, uh, I had finished a coaching meeting early, and I just wanted to express some things to you real quick that were just cool, some wins to share. So I share those with him. And we have a little bit of talk back and forth, like three or four minutes. Now, my next, this was a little bit before 1, so it's like 12.58 p.m. He goes, dude, I got a 1, 1 p.m. meeting, and uh, I got to go. And I just said real fast, me too, got to go, talk to you later. Uh, well, So I get off the phone with him. I actually didn't have a meeting till 1.30 now, I know this is stupid, Eric, but this is crazy. This is how my mind works. Oh, he's more busy than I am. He's more worthy than I am because he's got a 1 o'clock. I don't. I need to say that I have a 1 o'clock too so that I can be just as worthy as him. Now, I don't think through it at that level consciously and process it. It's just that real fast I could lie and be deceitful to make myself sound as important. Yeah. I, now, he's a close friend, so it's like he's gotten texts like this from me before. I just texted, dude, not going to let myself get away with that. I have a 130. <laughs> uh, I know this is so small, but if you can learn to notice it in these small things, the big things take care of themselves. Um, sure. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's the little things that add up to the big things. So sometimes it's not only the positive things that we're putting out there that we want to check ourselves on. It's also just learning to pay attention to what are the little strategies that we've used um, to build around our fear to protect ourselves from feeling the pain of shame or inadequacy uh, or feeling like we don't belong or whatever the fear is. Now, we'll talk more about this in a couple weeks, but you know, part of what we've done to prove or hide has been awesome because it's helped us survive. Uh, but our strengths will become our weakness if we don't learn to reintegrate all of who we are. So I'll, I'll go into that more later. I want to stay focused more now on on the proving and hiding. So 
you're connecting the dots and you're saying, hey, I can see this happening in social media. I can see this happening in other places. Uh, when you think about that fear, does it bring anything to your mind about any proving and hiding for you? Yeah, it's kind of disgusting that how much it happens. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, uh, I definitely, I definitely attach part of those. You know, when I post something, I I don't check my motive, so I, I need to do that. But uh, I just post something, and then of course, like shortly after, I'm checking to see what kind of interactions it got. I think that's a natural reaction. Sure. But uh, I have some friends who have been sort of trying to discipline themselves by posting something and then just piecing out and not really coming back to it until you have something else to add. And that seems like a good strategy. I like it. Um, yeah. Then the thing that we want to talk, pay attention to with that strategy is are we, are we like rigidly imposing this on ourselves? Mm-hmm. Or can we learn from a playful state to be like, I just posted it. I want to see what happens. And I know I'm not diminished or increased in my identity by it, but it's fun. Uh, or I'm going to leave it alone because I'm going to go play for an hour. I'm going to go work on this creative project and I'll pick it back up later. The key is how are we energizing ourselves? Because I could do what they're talking about doing, like not touch it for an hour and use that as a performance metric and be like, look at what I did. I didn't pay attention for an hour, you know, and inside of myself create yet another performance benchmark to try to get more worth. So again, this gets trippy. It all (laughs) goes back to why I'm doing this. Am I doing it from a place of fear, scarcity? I won't have enough for my needs to not be a problem. You know, if that's a need or fear, or am I doing it from a place of abundance? I already have all I need within myself. And so I do not have to approach anything from a scarcity mindset. Um, when you said it's kind of disgusting, it made me think of, did you have any pets growing up or anything? Yeah, I had a cat. Okay. Did the cat ever do things it wasn't supposed to? Uh, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> okay. So how was the cat trained to not do the things it wasn't supposed to, if it was? Uh, well, the cat would jump up on the dining room table. My parents would spray him with a water bottle. Okay, so this is crazy. Um, that spraying with the water bottle, like we're going to shock you and punish you so that you'll stop doing that behavior. And obviously it's not threatening, but it's not pleasant either. It's a mild form of traumatization, which you have to do that with pets. So I'm not railing against that at all. <laughs> well, here's what happens. Because you said... It's kind of disgusting. It would be real easy for you to get an energy from today's conversation and start this week noticing when you prove and hide. And for lack of a better way of saying it, start spraying your face with water to like, why'd you do that? That's disgusting. That's stupid, right? Um, And we don't want to do that because you're going to learn to be very patient with yourself. You're going to learn. I'm going to teach you a lot of things about how to do that. But for now, all you're doing is noticing and then celebrate the fact that you're noticing it. You are about to be waking up at a whole nother level. There, you know, I think one of the reasons we identify so deeply with the zombie narrative, are, are you a fan of the show, The Walking Dead? 
No, but I uh, I listened to one of your other podcasts that talked about running from the the zombies. Yeah, that app. <laughs> yeah, dude. So the show came back on last night. I haven't seen it yet, and uh, I'm super excited. But I think one of the reasons we identify with the zombie narrative culturally is because, you know, even at a, a psyche level, we're not even fully aware. We're so asleep. We're so numbed out. I mean, this is the struggle of our age. And we're going to be moving it against that into an opposite direction of waking up. So you're just noticing, noticing, noticing. Or another word of saying, another way of saying that is awareness. We're just becoming more and more and more and more aware. And we want to celebrate that. Go, oh, I just noticed that when my team leader comes in the room, there's an insecurity that causes me to start blabbing incessantly about what I'm working on. It's good to be strategic and share what you're working on, but to also notice where they're at and to meet them where they are. Um, I I could talk about tons of different examples, and I'm not saying you do that one, but the idea here is notice, awareness, notice, awareness. So when you said that's disgusting, or or, it's disgusting, some things that I'm seeing right now, can you talk some more about those? And I'll match them, too, if you need me to, in wacky vulnerability. <laughs> hmm. More about the social media stuff? Or, no, any, any place that you think I could be proving or hiding out of fear. Hmm. And not that you will right now. I'm just checking in with you. I think, hmm. well, sometimes when I'm at work, I, uh, I sort of distract myself or I, yeah, I make it look like I'm doing something that I'm not just to, to make it look more appropriate or whatever. I, I don't want to be, I, I get caught or I don't want to be caught. So I hide from whatever I was doing rather than just being comfortable and like knowing that they would trust that I'm getting my work done. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, we've all done those things. I work in like, uh cafes a couple of days a week in between like coaching meetings and I'll stand at places and I'll be like, crap, I just want to look at what Huck- Huckberry is selling right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like self-conscious of everybody ordering coffee behind me. Um, small examples, big examples. And, and I want, you know, again, it's not like this stuff was written on a cave wall that we discovered thousands of years ago. It's just noticing that these fears are there. And most people are burying the proving and hiding. They're doing it within themselves first, then doing it to others. And it's going to be another 20 years before that manifests itself. So you're noticing it. And as you notice, you can't shame yourself into change. More shame won't fix shame. Um, And so it's, you know, celebrating that you're noticing it is huge. And then noticing the small moments are what's going to accelerate the growth because your mind will start organizing around it. All you need is one moment of insight into, oh my God, I felt afraid. And then I just tried to prove or I just tried to hide. The rest start to build out of that. So your brain wants a narrative where there is no dissonance, where it can just relax. And it will try and distance you from the real pain and fear. And so we're working against the laziness of our brain because we want to strengthen it, you know, our introspective muscle, strengthen our brain 
by being willing to stand in the tension of, whoa, um, I just did that because I felt insecure. Whoa, I just did that in a hiding way because I was nervous about being seen. Um, I want to talk more f- specifically with with the fear that might be uh, the place that will help you see the most growth. Before I do, I just want to check in with you. Any thoughts or questions, concerns, ideas? No, I totally, I totally get that. You have to not just notice that you were proving or hiding, but just celebrate that you noticed it before you start shaming yourself more for doing that. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's something I'll, I'll definitely do a bit of this week, hopefully. Right on, man. No spraying yourself in the face with water. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, I'm not saying this is the case. This is just going to be me asking some questions to help help you have a little deeper insight on this fear. Do you ever find yourself looking around you with others that maybe are doing an awesome job at, like, caring for themselves and, and, and feel frustrated at them, like, jealous, like, ah. Why can't they give up some of that to do this thing? Um, yeah, any any comparison, because I know we all struggle with comparison, that's shame. Any comparison of yourself to others and how well they do caring for themselves. Sure, yeah. Uh, I definitely see a lot of my coworkers eating really well and... Um, I, I especially this past week, I didn't eat super well. And so, yeah, sometimes I, I wish I like went grocery shopping and made my, made my lunch. (laughs) So I I would compare myself on that regard. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I ask that is because it's very normal with this fear to resent, uh, when others do great self care and it's not that they're the problem. It's just, you're noticing within yourself places to start caring for yourself. Um, there is a narrative in our in our culture and our society that's like, you should care for others like crazy and then give yourself the leftovers. Um, the reality is you can't care for others well till you care for yourself well. So what we're going to do as we talk through your fear is amplify the way that you make space to get what you need. Uh, you know, that's physically, emotionally, and mentally in every major category of your life going, yeah, it's good for me to get this before I give this to you. Um, you'll face seasons. I, you know, I know I've faced seasons, uh, in my life where there's a period in time and a moment where, yeah, I've got to push the edges, but for the most part, I want to start making it feel really normal, really healthy, really beautiful to say, I've got to get what I need so that I can be there for you. And that's when you start to notice more joy. Joy isn't about f- smiling. Joy isn't about forcing or hyping yourself into being gregarious. Uh, this fear is specifically connected to joy. It's about deeply resting in. <sighs> My needs are going to be met and it's going to be okay. Um you'll find what will block you socially uh, from being vulnerable will be able to just celebrate that sense of joy, that delight. And the more, and this will be going forward, this fear loses its power, the more that you'll find yourself, 
you find yourself being able to put yourself out there in vulnerable spots with relationships where you give them joy. Uh, it's really cool. So that's just a heads up as something that will unfold. Um, thoughts or questions at this point? Uh, no, it's pretty pretty good. Keep, keep on going if you had more stuff to say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I did want to set up a couple things, but I just want to check in with you. Uh, one thing that I want to set up is, and this will get us into as we pay attention to more and more of your story and connecting the dots, is week three. So week three, we're going to look at where in your story can you start to see where you falsely believed your needs were a problem. Um I will give you an exercise there that I want to go ahead and get you thinking about now because it will help give you insight into certain behaviors that come out of your fear. And it's as simple as something from the recovery movement called HALT. Anytime you feel hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you're typically going to make a bad decision. So I love how we joke about it on social media, hangry. Uh, (laughs) You know, uh, oh my gosh, that's just so true. Taco Bell does not sound good to me except after a 10 o'clock meeting at night. And then I'm driving by and I'm like, why does Taco Bell sound amazing? Um, You know, whatever it is for you, you'll start to notice that. So we're going to look at it in the moment. And then we're going to look at it as the hurts you've experienced or the themes that might be present. Um, And when you look at those themes, I want you to start thinking about your favorite books and movies and songs because here's what's crazy you'll notice those favorite books movies and songs connected to your fear so what are my favorite movies about some hero who freaking saves the day how could he not have more worth look at how he performed uh my favorite music in in different eras is about self-awareness or expression understanding or the struggle to get it. So my favorite music in high school, Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, they were all coming out of this place of the hair bands of the 80s and then really struggling with some deep existential questions. Um, I loved it and I didn't know why I loved it until really the last decade when I've looked back and gone, oh, Uh, So this whole program we're doing for these 12 weeks, I'm wanting to increase speed of insight. Um, And part of increasing speed of insight is going to be looking at what are the narratives, the stories, movies, book songs that I've been drawn to. Because you'll find a connection to the theme of where you've been hurt or where you're afraid. So we'll look at hungry, angry, lonely, tired, current choices. Artistic things that we're drawn to, why we're drawn to them, how they connect to that theme. And then, this is the big one, we'll start looking at hurts you've experienced. So you can be the best autobiographer of your story. Um, Have you watched House of Cards? Uh, A couple episodes, but I'm actually not a huge TV junkie, so... You keep mentioning these shows, and I haven't watched any of them. Dude, no worries, man. (laughs) Do, like for me, uh, everybody's different. I have two or three shows I follow, and I I absorb them in more of a binge mode. Um, Like I was made for Netflix because I'll work on a book and get it out, 
And then I'll like binge watch a couple episodes of TV at night way too late. Uh, but it's just my flow and it, what's, it's what works. But so all that to say, House of Cards is built for that. So I'm not going to give anything away. But at one point they pay this uh, biographer to follow Frank around and, and tell a story as he gets ready for president. Well, of course, if that person is a truth teller, they're going to help him see things that he can't see for himself to connect some of the dots of his story, some of the why of his behavior and choices. Well, in the show, he doesn't want to see it, and I won't give away any of the details. If I paid somebody to follow like you around or me around all week and just notice, 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 and if they were somebody who didn't prove and hide within themselves, they would see things that I might would miss for myself. Beautiful. So what we want to do is... Open that up for you so that you can become the best autobiographer of your story, that you can learn your story so well that it's almost like you're following yourself around noticing. So that's where we'll be headed um, with next week. Awesome, man. Any other thoughts or questions? No, it's pretty good. All right, dude. You have been here and been open. Thanks for that gift. As you keep thinking about this fear and look at learning your story, more will open up and uh, look forward to our next chat. Sounds good. All right. Peace, buddy. Yeah. Later. This has been The Sight Shift, lead podcast with Chris McAllister. Thank you for listening.